0: Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me each week as we explore the minds of living composers. We talk about their lives, their musical journeys, and of course, their music. For a complete archive of episodes, as well as access to the shorter segments called Movable Snippets, visit my website, sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve thanks for joining me for this episode of movable dough my guest today is christopher tin christopher is a two-time grammy award-winning composer of concert and media music he did his undergraduate work at stanford and oxford and earned a b.a in music and in music and english and an m.a in interdisciplinary studies and humanities he also earned a master's of music with distinction from the royal college of music in london his music has been performed all over the world, including the Lincoln Center, the Kennedy Center, the Hollywood Bowl, the United Nations, and Carnegie Hall. Christopher is a Yamaha artist and is signed to an exclusive record deal with Universal under their Decca Gold and Decca Records US labels. His sheet music is available through Boozy and Hawks. Christopher Tin, welcome to Movable Doe. Thank you so much, Steve. So I'm so happy to have you here. So on your website, you list yourself in your bio as a California born and British educated musician. <laughs> so I'd like to explore some of that journey today. So where in California did you actually grow up?
1: I grew up in the, the Bay Area. So in a uh, probably the, the center of the, the tech hub, Palo uh, Alto, <laughs> okay. Stanford University, where I also went to school. Um, and uh, I live in Los Angeles now in uh, the coastal uh, town of Santa Monica. Mm hmm. Um, I've always been a California dude, man. I love, <laughs> I love the sunshine. I love the weather. I love everything about it. Um, but I also spend a good amount of time in the UK, in London in particular. Um, and I love that city as well. I mean, it's it's just a great city. So I, you know, I take the best from both worlds, right? Absolutely. laid back L.A. approach and, uh, you know, a little more of the uh, sort of sophisticated tradition that comes <laughs> European capital, perhaps.
0: Sure. So when did you start? When did you start making music?
1: Like, Uh, how old were you? Yeah, well, as you know, like, I think like a lot of us, we start piano. I started piano when I was around five, I think. Um, You know, I played various instruments growing up, um, you know, played trumpet in concert band. And then I played, I picked up guitar because I wanted to rock with my buddies, you know, forming a a garage band. (laughs) Um, I played bass and jazz combos. I sang in choirs. I did all that sort of stuff as a as a, as a a kid. Um, and, um, you know, like, I think I really got a taste for composing music, though, uh, also in high school. My senior year, I actually wrote a musical. Oh, really? On gorilla style with my friends. Yeah, we, you know, like, um, I put together a small cast and I wrote a bunch of songs and a script and all of that. And it just really gave me a taste of not just writing music, but also being... Um, sort of a somebody who brings c- large-scale creative projects into the world and sees them through from, you know, conception to completion.
0: Yeah, that's amazing to have, to have written that while in high school. So was it well-received by people? Did you get good feedback on that?
1: I did, actually, uh, you know, crazy enough. So this is one of these Palo Alto things, but one of the guests who came to see my, my music was Steve Jobs. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. that's because actually I grew up, um, and going to high school with his daughter. We were oh. friends and we, we lived a couple of blocks apart. But uh, one night she brought her dad and uh, he... Okay, so let me, let me frame this. If you know anything about Steve Jobs, um, he is notorious for thinking that everyone is either a genius or an idiot.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: right? And um, after this show, he told Lisa, that was the best thing I've ever seen anyone, someone his age do, which put me into the not idiot, right? (laughs) Fortunately, I mean, he's he um, was always kind of an interesting guy to hang around. Like when I went to hang out with Lisa and stuff. Sure. Um, And he's, you know, he's he was, you know, he was kind of cool to to Lisa's friends. Once you pass like a certain um, (laughs) the the not
0: idiot bar. bar. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little bit of an initiation if you want to be his, his only daughter, you know, his daughter's friend. Right. Yeah. His only daughter at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, once you pass that level, you know, Steve was cool to you.
0: But, <laughs> That's awesome. That yeah. sounds like it'd be a podcast in itself. Just talking about yeah. that. <laughs> adventures with Steve. Um, so when you were growing up, were you just listening to classical music or were you involved in all sorts of different like what what was in your ear while you were growing up?
1: Everything, everything. I mean, I was listening to classical music, but also, um, you know, I was into things like jazz and blues and uh, ragtime, um, classic rock. I mean, musical theater was a big part of my childhood. Like anything I could kind of get my hands on, I was really, really into. Um, And I think probably the thing I spent a lot of time listening to were um, sort of these classic rock concept albums that sort of Mm. You know, from the seventies, bands like Pink Floyd or the Beatles or the Who—you know—like they had a certain way of thinking about an album that was more than just a collection of songs, and that really sort of resonated with me. And eventually, when I started to make my own records, um, I very much followed that template of yeah, sort of conceptually unified.
0: Yeah, I can I can see that based on the material I've studied from you. Uh, so, what led you from California to study music in English or in, in English? How about in England?
1: i was an an undergrad at stanford actually i I spent one quarter as an exchange student over at oxford and it really gave me a taste for living overseas but it also gave me a taste for um sort of british academic life and Mm -hmm. that was like and um i spent some time actually going into london and and visiting the conservatories there because you know it it was my junior year i was starting to think about you know what do i do post graduation um And everyone always told me the Royal College of Music is known as the Composers' School. Um, It's where, you know, Vaughan Williams and Holst went, Benjamin Britten. Um, A lot of the sort of towering figures in English music went to that school.
0: That's some history right there.
1: That's some history, right? (laughs) So I went and I took a tour and I saw the campus and it was just a magical experience for me because I can't quite articulate it, but something about the architecture of European cities really (laughs) just, just, awaken something artistic in you, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, much as I loved going to Stanford and I love, you know, the I think, you know, we have a great um educational system in the US and there are things that could be improved. <laughs> uh generally speaking, um, you know, I I think there's just a difference when you walk into one of these buildings that's like several hundred years old and it just has a completely different look than sort of the buildings that we see here in, in California, right? You know, newer construction. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of history and tradition that you get when you walk into a building like that. It's hard to articulate, except to say that at that point forward, I stopped referring to myself as someone who writes music and started referring to myself as a composer. Uh You find yourself in this tradition and you want to honor it and be a part of it. And so that's when I really started to take myself a little more seriously, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I definitely had that moment as well. When I, finally started calling myself a composer. Uh, I think it, I think it takes some time.
1: (laughs) Powering, right? Yeah. You just say to yourself, you know what? It's not, I don't study this anymore. I do it. Yeah. That's a big sort of step.
0: So I wanted to uh, go back to your growing up. So your, your parents are immigrants to the U S from Hong Kong. Uh, What influences that had on your career path or maybe your work ethic or cultural influences? What, what do you see from that?
1: I think that uh, one of the challenges with anyone whose parents are essentially of an immigrant generation is that um, the immigrant experience is never easy. And your parents put, you know, they, they they sacrifice a lot to make things work for you. And they do it in, in the interest of having a, a better life for you and a foundation for, for you to explore more interests. I mean, you know, like if you don't come from a, um, a heritage where English is not your primary language, as an immigrant... A lot of the jobs that one might get are actually just kind of closed off to you, right? So mm-hmm. you know a lot of uh, East Asian immigrants of that generation they went into things like science and engineering because you know you're primarily dealing with numbers and and you know math and abstractions rather than requiring a heavy command of the English language. and so right. they all went into fields like that that were much more sort of um you know uh, scientific, engineering based, you know stem oriented, right. Um, but so anytime a kid of immigrants of that generation says, hey, I want to be a musician or something like that, which is hard by any means to make a living in, but for immigrants whose sense of, you know, what one needed to go into to sustain a family was based around things that were practical, like engineering and medicine and things like that, it's an even bigger stretch. Uh, but I have to say, I'm very fortunate in that I had very, very supportive parents, and they were completely on board with me going into music. I had to show them, first of all, that I had the aptitude to do it and the drive to sustain the discipline that one needs in order to have a music career. But, you know, once I sort of proved that to my parents, they were behind me 100% of the way. So I was very lucky in that regard. That's fantastic. immigrants is as fortunate, but my circumstances allowed me to be who I am.
0: Uh, Since you did have parents who... uh had English as not their first language. Uh, Is that what brought about your interest in languages? Because I know a lot of your music is in languages besides English. So I'm just wondering where that interest came from.
1: My interest in languages outside of English is actually, it actually stems more from my interest in singing styles outside of West. style. So um, if you look at my first album, Calling All Dawns, there's 12 movements and they're in 12 different languages. Right. But... The languages weren't sort of arbitrarily picked because of, you know, I just needed a language or something like that. A lot of times they're pegged to a certain way of singing that I find very beautiful and unique. Um, To give an example, uh, Portuguese Fado, right, this, this real rich emotional form of singing that you hear in like all these bars, you know, in, in Lisbon. Um, I really wanted to do something with a Fado singer. And so I wrote something in Portuguese. Likewise, uh, the last track is Kia Te Marino, which, um, you know, I think we might talk about at some point. Um, It's uh, a a setting of some Maori proverbs, but it also uses a couple of forms of Maori oratory. One being the haka Mm -hmm. chant and, you know, the grunts and the, you know, the arm slaps and things like that but the other is the Fakarero, which is a form of speech making in Maori oratory. And so I wanted to incorporate both those. And so I wanted to, I needed to do something with Maori to make it all make sense. So that's kind of where the interest in other languages comes from.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's a, a fantastic reason, <laughs> I love that answer. So over the course of the years, you have collaborated with some amazing people. For example, Chinese pianist, Lang Ling, composer, Alan Menken, soprano, Danielle Denise, Uh, and composer and singer Danny Elfman, just to name a few. So thinking back, can you remember a collaboration that was particularly memorable or that had a lasting impact on you?
1: Well, the Lang Lang one was pretty wild in that um, the story behind it was pretty wild. I was in Nashville recording uh, some music for, for actually for Disneyland. Oh, really? Arranging for Disneyland, yeah. And um, I got a call from the Weinstein Company that said Lang Lang is going to be in New York And he's recording some music for this movie, but while we're there, we were wondering if we could have him record some music for this Netflix film, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny. We saw that you already, you did some concert suite arrangements of the original Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon score. Could you do a new piano arrangement for Lang Lang um, of the original Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon score for him to play? And I said, yeah, that sounds great. And they're like, okay, well... (laughs) um the recording sessions are the day after tomorrow (laughs) can you get yourself to new york in a hurry with a new arrangement written so i'm like yeah of course sure no problem you know frantically reschedule all my flights you know pull up my notation program on my laptop you know just start writing on the plane and hotel rooms even on the taxi driving into manhattan i mean it was this frantic last minute thing and um it was wild a wild experience working with him i mean he's an amazing pianist right um and uh yeah that one sticks out
0: that's amazing that's a very quick process
1: sometimes you get asked to do the craziest things without any preparation or notice (laughs) whatsoever and you just kind of gotta do it
0: right yeah all right well i I do want to go into your process a little bit um but about your movie and video game music so you've written music for several movies and video games uh, one of what we'll talk about in the second half of our program actually a couple I believe Uh, but I'm actually sort of more interested in your process since I've never written for a movie Uh, talk me through the process how do you start I assume you get a copy of the movie without music first
1: yeah, you usually, whether it's a movie or a video game, you usually get something to look at and to work with. Um, if it's a movie, it's often a rough edit of the movie, meaning it's not quite the final form, but it's good enough to really, you know, show other creative people and, and to get your, your music and your sound design team started on it. Um, and usually what you do is you have a, a sort of a, a meeting with a director and you sit down and you say, okay, well, The director says, I see music here, here, and here, and here, and here, and I want the music here to support this idea or this emotion or this character. And sometimes as the composer, you say, "Hmm, well, I think I could also see some music here or, you know, I feel like we shouldn't add music there. You know, you have a bit of a Uh about where and what music needs to go into the film. Um, And then you just kind of do it, write the music send the director some clips of the film, but with your music laid in, get feedback, revise, that sort of thing. Same with video games. I mean, largely with video games, the game is semi-playable when you get brought on board. Um, That way you sort of have a a sense of how the game feels, the rhythms of the game, the look of the game, Um, but you're often months away from actually having a complete game ready to go. Um, So a lot of times I'm just sort of, basing what I'm writing on a few bits of concept art and a spreadsheet that tells me what I have to write and what each piece needs to sort of uh, convey. So
0: is this music that plays in the background while someone is playing the game or, or like what, how is it used in the game? Because I've never dealt with that.
1: It could be any number of ways. I mean, I often get brought in just to write like a big showstopper main theme type situation. Like the pieces that i'm best known for are actually my themes from the civilization franchise Those mm-hmm. they have their own team of really great in-house composers but what they like to do is go outside and say hey can we bring christopher tin in just to write a big you know uh choral main theme song for the opening menu screen gotcha that's a piece that um you know that's a great place to write music because anyone who's played the game will know that you always have to go through that opening menu screen before you launch a new game. And people keep playing these games for weeks and weeks and months on end. So every time they boot up their game, there's my music, you know, that you have to kind of get through to before getting into the main gameplay, And you know what they say about music, the more you hear it, the more you like it. right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's true. You know, I I actually played uh, Baba Yetu for my students, uh, sixth graders, and I had several of them light up and like, oh, civilization, I know this. (laughs) <laughs> That's cool. Yeah.
1: Six graders are playing Civ? Man.
0: Uh, apparently. They man, they knew what it was.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh so Christopher, you are very busy of course with music, but when you have a free moment, what do you like to do? What do you do to unwind? What hobbies do you have?
1: Well, I have a, a four and a half year old kid now, so I spend a lot of time playing with my kid and I love her to death. Um, you know, I'll take her to the beach, you know, sometimes we'll just kind of hang out, make sandcastles, play in the waves, things like that. Um, I mean, honestly, there isn't a ton of time outside (laughs) making music and hanging (laughs) with my family. That's my entire life right now.
0: That's awesome. So I got one more question for you before we take a quick break. Uh, who is one other living composer that you think we should all go check
3: out?
1: I am a fan of a, uh, a British composer named Joby Talbot. Okay. He writes for both concert hall and also film scores and such. Um, and he has the most fantastic ballet called Alex's, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. It was a, a ballet put on by the Royal Ballet Company in you know Covent Garden in London. And I saw the ballet and I, I was just so... Blown away by that piece. I think it's absolutely fantastic. The melodies, the orchestration is just marvelous and one of my favorite pieces of contemporary music. So that's my recommendation for you all. Go check out Joby Talbot's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland.
0: Joby Talbot. All right. Well, we'll check that out. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll listen to some of Christopher's compositions. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Christopher Tin. So, Christopher, we have to start today with Baba Yetu. This is the piece that introduced me to your work. Uh, a stunning piece uh, is the Lord's Prayer as found in the New Testament, but in Swahili. So, I first heard this piece as an a cappella arrangement performed by Stellenbosch University out of South Africa. The Baba Yetu actually started out as a piece for a video game. So, tell us about how it all came about.
1: Um, Baba Yetu was actually the first piece of music I'd ever written for a video game. And that's because I, I ran into my old. College roommate at our five-year reunion, a guy named Soren Johnson. We reconnected, and he said, "Hey, Chris, I'm now a video game designer, and I'm designing the next Civilization game. Um, are you interested in writing for games?" And of course, the answer was yes because I <laughs> played Civilization growing up. So, okay, I'll work on this franchise, right? Um, and a few months later, you know, he said, "I took some music that you uh, recorded with your a cappella group at Stanford." And I put it on the opening menu screen and all the team here really, really liked it. And so can we hire you to write a new theme that has Swahili vocals um, with orchestra and sort of a world music percussion sound? And I said, okay, all all those things are right up my alley. You know, um, I was uh, actually I had a kind of a a background in African gospel music before because I was directing this, this singing group that performed a lot of African choral music. Um, and so I I spent a lot of time writing Baba Yetu. I spent like a month composing that piece, which is you know I mean it's it's a, it's about right for like concert music. During mm-hmm. like, a game or a piece, you know, like any sort of uh, media work, you want to write much faster than you know a piece a month. Right? <laughs> you want to write like a piece every two days, you know, or like two minutes of music a day, right? Right. Really wanted you to get it right because this is your first chance to make an impression on the game industry and all that. So I, I spent my time and I really wrote Baba Yetu to, to a, a standard that I was very happy with. And when the game came out, it kind of took off first in the game world, but secondly in the choral world after we started publishing the sheet music. And um, you know, it took on a life of its own, such that a lot of people had didn't even know it was from a game when they first encountered the song. So. It's kind of one of these rare pieces of music that jumps out of the video game without sort of forever being attached to the game in people's minds. Um, And that's that's worked well for me in the last 15, 16 years since it came out.
0: And I, I understand that this piece holds a particular world record, correct?
1: Well, it, yeah, in that, yes, it does. And and that is that it was the first piece of video game music ever to win a Grammy Award. So, um, and that happened in 2011. And um, I mean, that's, that's one of these things that also helps sort of enshrine it in the canon.
0: I yeah.
1: Um, now it's a piece of music that won this particular, you know, knocked down this particular wall or, you know, broke this particular glass ceiling. Um, and... Uh, You know, I'm just very fortunate that people (laughs) like to perform it year after year, you know?
0: Well, I'm going to be performing it with my chorus and orchestra in Seattle uh, in March, so super excited about it.
1: Fantastic.
0: All right, well, we are going to listen to Baba Yetu, here performed by the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, and if I'm pronouncing this right, Soweto Gospel Choir, is that correct? That's right. All right, here we go, Baba Yetu. (laughs)
2: Ba yet Baba yetu tu Amina Baba yetu to Amina Baba to to
0: All right, our next piece today, Sogno di Volare, The Dream of Flight. So I believe this one also started out as video game music, this time for Civilization VI. Uh, so you say that this piece is an ode to humanity.
1: What do you mean by that? I mean that um, Civilization as a game, if you don't know much about the game, it's actually a game where you you found a civilization from hunter-gatherer, hunters gatherers, settler days, and you shepherd it through the centuries until your ultimate goal is to uh, achieve victory by doing, among other things, landing a man on the moon, right? The space mission. Um, Sonia de Valare was my, my theme for Civilization Six. And if you can imagine, after the success of Civilization Four's Baba Yetsu, getting the call and saying, hey, you have three weeks, we need a new theme for Civilization Six. Uh, Can you compose and record this in three weeks, basically? So that was a huge, huge, stressful task, you know, to try to replicate the success that Baba Yeti had. Um, And uh, they didn't have much in terms of a playable game for me to work with. But what they did show me was um, the rendering of what the menu screen would look like and it was this beautiful blue screen with um, sort of this uh, uh, cartographical imagery in the background like these compass roses and these globes and it was was just very beautiful and they said they wanted something that evoked the spirit of exploration Hmm. and so what I did is I found Um, a number of quotes attributed to Leonardo da da Vinci um, from his notebooks about flight, his writings on flight. And I had them um, translated into contemporary English because he had written in Latin. Um, And I used those as the words for this piece about wanting to achieve flight. Um, And yeah, actually the main quote, that the main chorus is set on is, is sort of based on is uh, his quote that reads: um, "For once you have flown, you will always walk with your eyes towards the sky because that is your home and that is where you long to return." And as,
2: beautiful. A, as
1: sort of as a, as an added Easter egg, that's the quote that's actually recited to you in Civilization 4 when you discover flight as a technology. Oh you're playing, right? You hear that quote. So I was trying to take something and and sort of, you know, make it a little Easter egg for people who played Civilization. So Sonio di Volare is based on Da Vinci's writings. That's fantastic.
0: All right. Well, we're going to listen to Sonio di Volare, here performed by the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra and the Royal Opera Chorus and Anna Lapwood on organ. All right, our next piece today, Waiting for Your Return, and this is from the movie Crazy Rich Asians. So I didn't know anything about the movie beforehand. I had to look it up and find out what it was about. It sounds like a fun movie. Uh, the synopsis at least sounds fun. <laughs> a native New Yorker travels to meet her boyfriend family in Singapore only to find out that he's one of the most eligible bachelors in Singapore with a host of scooters. So I this is the first song on the soundtrack. Was this like opening music? Because this is in Chinese, but the the music is or the movie is in English so when does this fit into the
1: movie uh it's the first notes that you hear you know, okay the studio logo starts showing up on screen you hear this track playing um what I did for this particular tune is I found an old song from sort of 1930s Shanghai uh, called when will you return um and Shanghai actually had a bit of a jazz scene uh back in the 30s you know before it was sort of shut down by the communist party later in the 40s um but there were some songs that were being written for sort of popular um you know movies and things like that back then um and this song was one of them it's particularly well known as a cover by an artist named teresa tang um it you know her version has a very sort of uh you know asian karaoke vibe to it you know Uh kind of dated sounding um, so I wanted to take this melody and completely transform it into something that sort of evoked old world glamour, you know, sort of like um, with the big band sound and sort of this 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 lush, rich um, sort of affluent, you know vibe to it, right. Um, and I made actually a demo of my idea and I sent it to Warner Brothers um, through my my agent. And Warner Brothers played it for the director John M. Chu, and he said, "Oh, this is perfect. This is exactly the sort of thing that I want to start the movie with." And so Warner Brothers, um, you know, they uh, you know officially hired me to arrange the song and to expand it into the three-minute version that you hear. You're about to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, And they hired, uh, you know, one of the best big bands uh, that that money can buy. Honestly, like the best players in L.A., just legends in jazz. Uh, and one afternoon, you know, we all spent some time in, in Warner Brothers recording this, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And the, the singer who, who sings the lead here, um, she's actually a character in the movie as well. She shows up on screen, you know, um, in, in various uh, scenes. Uh, that's so, fun. Real fun one to do.
0: <laughs> so when I was listening, I was getting some, like, serious, like, thoroughly modern Millie vibes, but in Chinese. And it was, it was such a fun juxtaposition.
1: There's there's certainly a bit of sort of musical theater pizzazz,
0: yeah. On right. All right. Well, we're going to listen here to "Waiting for Your Return" from Crazy Rich Asians, uh, here performed by Jasmine Chen. 说吧 Last piece today, Hope is the Thing with Feathers. So, this is a fairly new one. Uh, It's on your new album, The Lost Birds, that just came out at the end of September. And this particular song uses text from Emily Dickinson Hope is the Thing with Feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. So, what can you tell us about this piece and the others that we'll find on the Lost Birds album? What is this all about?
1: So, The Lost Birds is a, I call it an extinction elegy. It's an album about um, the extinction of birds, how that's actually a, a, a foreshadowing of our own potential extinction. If you know the metaphor of the canary in the coal mine, it's sort of like that, right? In the 19th century, miners would take a canary down into the coal mine with them. And if the canary died, it meant that there was a buildup of poisonous gases and the miners needed to get out, otherwise they would die next. So I look at bird extinction in a similar sort of metaphorical term. Mm. As the birds go extinct due to climate change or deforestation or pesticides or whatever these things, there is sort of this cascading effect down the food chain and eventually it spells trouble for us as well, right? Um, So I I wanted to write a piece that memorialized birds, um, especially some of these birds that were ubiquitous in the 19th century, like the passenger pigeon uh, that are now extinct. Um, And over the course of this work, we go from celebrating birds and their beauty and their symbolism, um, more into a mourning for their absence and eventually sort of a mourning for our own potential absence as well. But after we get through all of that tough emotional stuff, we get into the final movement, which is a setting of Emily Dickinson's poem, Hope is the Thing with Feathers, and literally it's to end the piece on a note of hope. Literally, the last words that the singer sing are the word "hope" over and over again. So um, it's sort of my way of eulogizing birds, um, not in a hundred percent like a you know a, a very sort of religious somber requiem esque setting, but more in a way to celebrate them first, so that we feel the pain of their absence a little more acutely. Yeah,
0: that's really nice. I I love the way that you put these albums together with these themes it it, it's so refreshing i really love it okay we're going to listen here to hope is the thing with feathers here performed by voces eight royal philharmonic orchestra and barnaby smith So Christopher, what are you working on now that you can tell us about?
1: I have a few exciting commissions that I'm kind of excited about. Um, Can't really share (laughs) the video game work coming up. I'm gonna be recording some more solo piano music. Um, There's just a a big slate of projects um, that I'm excited to reveal with you all in time.
0: Awesome. Any idea of when we might be able to anticipate those reveals?
1: I would say uh, in a few
0: months. In a few months. All right. We'll look forward to it. Well, if my listeners wanted to learn more about you and your music, uh, where are you located online? Where can they find you?
1: Uh, ChristopherTin.com is my main site, and that has links to all my social media accounts, too. Um, generally, I'm very responsive on social media as well. So you can find me on any of the platforms.
0: Fantastic. And I know you've got some great stuff up on YouTube, including a, a new animated video that goes along with Hope, without, or Hope is the Thing with Feathers.
1: So. Yeah, you know, the YouTube channel is a happen in place. So That's right. <laughs> subscribe. <stay in>
0: touch. <laughs> well, hey, listeners out there, as we wrap up season five of Movable Dough, please make sure that you've connected with us on social media as well to get the latest news, movable snippets, or composer updates. We're on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and of course, the Facebook group, Movable Dough listeners. Share your thoughts about the show, give suggestions for a future guest, or just share your favorite music meme. We want to hear from you, so join us today. Well, Christopher, it has been a Absolute pleasure to get to know you today. Thank you for joining us on Movable Dough.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: My guest today was composer Christopher Tim. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledough at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving.